So when I first became a pastor, I, uh, I had known I was going to be a pastor before I became a pastor. And so we were just waiting for God to kind of get us a church, I guess. I mean, we didn't really know how it was going to work out, but we knew we were called to full-time ministry. And so I had done some things to kind of pursue that. And, you know, we're just waiting and we were really involved in our denomination. And I was sitting in a pew or a chair, just like you guys, and just kind of listening for God. And is it going to be this? Are we going to plan a church? Is it going to be that? All these kinds of things. And so when you do that, you kind of envision yourself as a pastor prior prior to becoming a pastor. And so I'd think of myself, you know, deep in study and with my highlighters out and all this kind of stuff. And I'd picture myself, you know, leading tens of thousands of people in the sinner's prayer and you know, all the things that you kind of do as, as a pastor. But one of the things that I, I, I couldn't quite, I envisioned myself doing it, but it's kind of one of those things that until you do it, you don't really know if you're going to be any good at it or how it's going to work out. And that is uh, pastoral counseling. And so... I remember one of my very first uh, counseling appointments. Uh, they, 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 I was super excited because I'm like, I get to be a pastor. I get to be, you know, I was really ha- happy. And I, I got in there. And so this guy shows up and they, they don't attend our church. But uh, so I can tell this story and you guys aren't looking around. Oh, that's him. That's, 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 that. No, nobody here. Um, and so he shows up in, the, in my office and he starts talking about his wife and he starts talking about how awful she is and how she doesn't listen to him, she doesn't love him, she doesn't supply any of his needs, you know, kind of the list goes on and on, and he wants to get a divorce, and this is not what he signed up for, and she's betrayed his trust, not because she cheated on him, but just because, uh, you know, she kind of misrepresented herself, uh, because, you know, she said, for sickness and in health and now when things go wrong she's upset at me and I just want to I just want to cancel the whole thing and I'm looking at him like dude you ain't no catch either so just you might want to just hang in there a little bit I was new I was new so those thoughts now those thoughts never enter my mind I was just like what where did that come from now I've learned but um no so we're talking and he says this statement to me he says you know what I think God just wants me to be happy. And so, like, in my mind, I'm thinking, I got to, like, like there's all this insecurity when you first become a pastor because you think you have to have an answer for everything and you haven't learned that you pretty much don't have an answer for anything. And so you, 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 I was kind of sitting there and I'm like, well, I mean, on the one hand, God does love us and I love my kids. I want them to be happy. So I guess... I guess that's partly true. On the other hand, I don't want to give my kid ice cream every day. That would make him happy. You know, I'm going through this, and he's, you know, still talking. I'm just like in my mind trying to go through this. And then there's the Beatitudes that say, blessed is, you know, blessed are you who are, blessed are you who, blessed, blessed. And that word literally means happy. And so, you know, happy are you who are persecuted. Well, that doesn't sound like very much happy. I don't want to be happy if it's persecution. You know, I, I want to be happy, happy, like lottery happy. You know, I, like that's the kind of happiness I want. And so I really started struggling with this idea. Is like, does God want us to be happy? And, 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 and so that's myth number four. Uh, myth number four is that God wants me to be happy. The fact of the matter is God does not want you to be happy. <laughs> We'll, we'll hold off on that thought for just a little bit and we'll get in, we'll, we'll come back and revisit it again. 
But we're going to look at a section of scripture that we actually looked at in June of last year on a whole different topic. And this is one of the great things about the Word of God is that uh, it talks about the Word of God being living and active. And so you can read a section of scripture on one day and just, man, God can speak to you on that because it's so rich and so deep. And then on another day, you can read it and get a whole, totally different thing, not contradictory, but just a, a totally different outlook. And so as I was going through this myth, I knew what the fourth myth was going to be because it's one of the most pervasive myths out there that we have this life and the chief end of life is to be happy. As a matter of fact, our country has a whole thing, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's it. I mean, you know, we get, leave me alone. Let me go after my own, follow my dreams, all this kind of stuff. And that the end goal, the end goal of a marriage, the end goal of having a family, the end goal of your career is to be happy. God, I'm here to tell you, God does not want you to be happy. I know, you're uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to say it, but let's watch. So we're at a section of scripture, John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Jesus has begun his ministry, and he's going all around, uh, all around uh, Israel, kind of preaching, binding up the brokenhearted. He's healing people. He's kind of doing all this stuff, and he ends up in this place called Samaria, and Samaria is a section that uh, the Samaritans lived, and they didn't get along with the Jews at all. They actually hated each other, and Jews would walk around Samaria because they felt that the whole area, the whole region was unclean. That in fact, the Jews were the chosen ones, and the Samaritans were, they even called the Samaritans dogs. Okay, so that's kind of where we are in Jesus' ministry. So Jesus decides to go through Samaria which you can imagine his disciples weren't too stoked about, but he takes them in there anyway, and that's kind of where we find them. He says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sitchar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. That's super important when you read the Bible to pay really close attention. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be, uh, you know, a, an archaeologist and know all this stuff to understand the Bible. The Bible is very clear. But as Pastor Bob has shown us in lots of different times, the Bible kind of counts on you to understand some certain things that we just can't understand living almost 2,000 years after it was written. Okay, so there are little things in here that are really important. To the reader, they'd go, wow. Jesus was in Samaria, because John's going to talk about that a little bit. But the fact that it's noon is going to be important for the very next sentence, okay? So he's there when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Then John writes this parenthetical statement, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now I want you to understand something about this woman, because it's noon and she's going out to get water. And historically, the time to get water for the women of the town would be in the morning before it's hot. It wouldn't be noon. 
And they'd all get together and they'd sit and they'd get their water and they'd chat just like you would do around the water cooler or you'd do anywhere else where you get a bunch of ladies together or a bunch of dudes together, wherever our gathering spot is. And you'd kind of go through that process every morning. You'd find out about you know, the, your day and your family, and you'd say, hey, how did it go last night when you asked your husband about that, or how did this go, and you kind of have that whole thing, but she shows up by herself at noon, and we've just learned something about her. She's alone. Why is she going at noon when everybody goes in the morning? That's important. We'll, we'll hold on to that for a second. And so his disciples, uh, Jesus says to her, would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then again, another statement that John's trying to get the reader to understand. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, which is kind of cool because you realize that John was writing to a group much like ourselves where we need to kind of get some more background information to understand the story a little better. And so she says, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. There's two distinctions here. She's a Samaritan, which Jews had nothing to do with. And she's a woman, who, which was in a lower, it's not like today. Back then, women were a lower caste than the men. The men kind of ruled everything, did everything. Women were like, in some cases, like property. And now Jesus breaks through all those barriers and says, yeah, you're a Samaritan, you're a woman, so What? I'm Jesus. Well, he didn't say that, right? But he's kind of Jesus. And so he, he, he he's kind of breaks through all that. Now watch what Jesus says, because this is really important. And this will kind of get us in the mind frame of personalizing what is happening right now to this woman. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift, just, just focus on that kind of sec. I should have put it in yellow like I normally do. If you knew the gift of God, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, I just want to stop for a second. I just want to enter this woman's life for a minute, and maybe in the process we can enter our own lives. All she's doing is what she did every day. You know, this isn't, she isn't having her quiet time right now. She did, isn't at church. She isn't at a, at, at a holy mountain where she's going to see God. She's just going to get water. And she would, she would do every single day in the context in which she'd do it. Alone, she'd make that march all the way down the, the, the street. Well, she'd wait till all the women got done with their water and they were off and then she would go. She'd get her water and she'd go back inside, maybe as fast as she could. Maybe it was just a walk of humility. We don't know yet because we haven't gotten into the rest of the story. And all of a sudden, Jesus is there. She encounters Jesus while she's getting water. And as I read this kind of stuff, I think to myself, could I encounter Jesus in my day-to-day? Like, I, I know I get in the Bible and I read and I try to learn. I try to come up with really cool insights for everybody. But, but what about on my commute? What about when I'm waiting in line at the store? What about just my day-to-day just stuff? Could, could Jesus be talking to me going, man, if you knew the gift that was talking to you right now, you wouldn't be thinking about those things. What about at work? You're on the phone call with a client and they're just going nuts. And you're thinking, oh man, I just wish this client would die. <laughs> 
or something like that. You're just thinking, you know, ah, and, and Jesus is right there. Could, can you meet Jesus in the day-to-day, just mundane stuff? So he says, you, you'd ask him and he'd give you living water. And then she says exactly what you would say if you met Jesus in the day-to-day stuff. Your mind would be on that stuff. Your mind would be on the just mundane because that's just how we are. That's how we think. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? In other words, what are you talking about? Living water. This is my, this is, I do this every day. There's no other place to get water. Trust me, if there were, I would have gone there and gotten it and not come to this well where everyone can see. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. I want that just to enter your mind a little bit. And I want you to begin to think, like I have this week, think of all the places you get your thirst satisfied. All the ways you think, okay, you know, that, maybe it's water, maybe it truly is water. Maybe it's food, maybe it's whatever. Those desires you have, maybe some of them hidden, maybe some of them just normal. How do you get them met? Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. You're going to have to go back again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So often we focus on this eternal life part and we think to ourselves, well, as long as I make it to heaven, I mean, you know, and, and, and that's a good start. You know, oftentimes we'll, we, you know, someone will raise their hand and say, you know, I'm ready to turn from my life and just kind of follow Jesus. And, and maybe it comes from a sermon where someone talks about heaven and hell and you're like, okay, hell's the bad one. I want to go to the good one. And so your hand goes up. But Jesus is talking about so much more. Jesus is talking about a source of life that can actually dwell within us. That when we get thirsty or hungry or have desire for a relationship or we want a desire to move up the corporate ladder or whatever, there might be another way to satisfy that thirst other than the way we really think or the way we're pursuing. This is what what Jesus is talking about. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now watch where her thought process is. It's exactly where ours would be. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now listen. There's two things she's talking about. She's talking about the one thing, she doesn't want to be thirsty anymore. But what is her thing? I don't want to come here anymore. I don't want to walk down the street by myself anymore in the heat of the day when everyone else has gotten their water. Is that you right now in a part of your life where you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't want this anymore? Maybe it is a relationship, maybe it is a marriage. 
And you're, you're at the end of your rope and you're saying, Jesus, if you could come and make it so I don't have to thirst again and I don't have to spend one more day in this situation, I am all for that living water. Give me some of that. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus gives her the living water, <laughs> is she ever going to thirst again? Yeah. Is she ever going to have to go to the well again? Yeah, she is. Jesus is talking about something radically different than what she's talking about. And I wonder in my own life, as I look at different parts of my life that I wish would just change, I wish I could say, man, I wish I'd never have to go to that well again because of all the things it represents. I wonder if Jesus is asking me, hey, stop focusing on the well so much. Start focusing on the living water. Start focusing on the source of life that within you can spring up wells of eternal life. That's what she says. So Jesus... Being Jesus, that's the way he is, throws this little zinger at her. <laughs> Go call your husband and come back. Now, to those who know the story, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that part or whatever. You're like, oh, yeah, I, that's right. She's going to have a lot of explaining to do, Lucy. I mean, she, like you have all these things going through your mind. But for those of you who don't know the story, this would be a bizarre thing to ask anyway i mean to just you know like hey i'd like to i'd like that living water like go get your husband and she so she says this i have no husband she replied can't do it can't go get him let's just get back to the living water part and jesus doesn't let her go jesus said to her you're right when you say you have no husband the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband what you have just said is quite true. <laughs> now, when you read that stuff, it's so easy to just kind of dismiss it and go, wow, Jesus knows everything about this woman and he's not letting her off the hook and all this kind of stuff. But I always think it's really important to internalize this. And if we're talking to Jesus and he asks us a question, what's our answer? Because in fact, she answered truthfully. But Jesus went right to the spot that probably was the root of why she goes and gets water by herself. It's probably because in that town, she is ostracized for her life choices. And it's a religious community, just like the Jews. The Samaritans are very religious. And you've got five husbands. And just like in our thing, we'd kind of look down on that. And five husbands. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. Oh, boy. And all this kind of stuff. This is what she carries when she goes to the well every day by herself. And Jesus does not shy away from it. And this is the thing that I want us to understand is that Jesus is not going to shy away from your deal. That thing, that hidden thing, maybe it's not hidden, maybe it's just you're just struggling. He's not going to be like, well, we'll deal with that later. He wants to deal with it. And here's the reason why. God does not want to make you happy. He wants to make you whole. God does not want to make you happy. He wants to make you whole. 
See, oftentimes we think if we're happy, everything's great. And it doesn't take us too long, even if you don't even believe in God or the Bible, to know that happiness just lasts for a moment. Happiness, you know, you get your needs met for one little thing. Maybe it's a hit. Maybe it's a, 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 an experience. Maybe it's something. And, and guess what? You're going back to the well again, whether it's the next day or the next week or whatever. A happiness might be a great date. Oh, I went on this date. I'm so happy. Oh, man, he's so awesome. And she's hot and whatever and all this kind of stuff. That's happiness. But, but you're going to have to go back. Jesus wants us whole. Jesus wants us to the place where the living water is swelling up within us and up to eternal life so that no matter what we face, we have a resource to be able to go to and draw from to satisfy our very deepest needs. But he's going to address our stuff. He's not going to let it go. Now, Did Jesus call her out to shame her? You think Jesus, like, he's at the well, and this woman's like, I have no husband. And he's just like, yeah, you don't have a husband, do you? Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. I mean, it's like, is it like in your face, lady? Or, you know, I know you're trying to deceive me. What, what is Jesus doing? When Jesus talks about his own ministry, he says, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted, right? To give sight to the blind. But this is the ministry Jesus talks. He says, I've been anointed to, to preach the good news of the kingdom. You just think she was uncomfortable? Duh. <laughs> right? Yeah, she was uncomfortable. And Jesus wasn't there to make her happy. Jesus was there to bring wholeness. Now watch what happens because she does what we do. She says, sir, the woman answered, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She takes it the whole day. Oh, we're talking about spiritual stuff now. Uh, okay, let me put on that hat. I'll put on my spiritual hat. Okay, we'll talk about the Bible and we'll talk about all this kind of stuff. Jesus isn't interested in that. Jesus isn't interested in you just compartmentalizing your life or me compartmentalizing my life where it's like I'm spiritual, got five husbands, you know, I want to eat cornflakes tomorrow. Like he doesn't, it's like there's not these different compartments. So she says that. And he says, I don't, men, don't say this. Woman, Jesus replied, <laughs> you're like, hey, I'm just quoting scripture. Okay, uh, because that's how all men talk. Anyway, okay, women, woman, <laughs> Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. God wants a full integration of your spiritual life and your physical life. That's what it means, like, means to have shalom, to have peace. It's to have wholeness. It's full integration. 
Where I run into trouble in my own life is when there's a disconnect with how I live and what I believe. When there's a disconnect between a God I know can supply all my needs and then me running to something else to have my needs met. To me running to some other well to get a drink, to get a drink, and God's over here going, dude, if, if you just come to the well of living water, it's me going and, and, and demanding of my spouse some needs that I need met and Christ going, I've met all your needs. I don't want you to be happy. I want you to be whole. When uh, I taught at uh, the youth camp a couple years ago and we did this exercise, you guys probably remember, but um, where you write on a piece of paper everything you want in a spouse, the spouse that you, you want to marry. And you guys remember that? You just shake your head yes. Make me feel good. Okay, good. Change their lives. Okay. Uh, and so you write this long list of all the things you want in a spouse. And, you know, and it's everything we would ask for. You know, they're no, 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 uh, high schoolers no different than us, you know, um, independently wealthy, uh, you know, super attractive, you know, right? But, but then, you know, you get to the normal stuff like um, I want them to care about me. I, I want them to have a deep relationship with God. I want them to be a spouse that is, uh, you know, for the women, it was like, I want them to ha have courage, you know. And for the men, it's just like, I want them to be hot, you know, like, <laughs> whatever. So, I mean, you kind of go down the list of all these things. I, I want them to, 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 to listen to me. And I want, and all these different things. And, and, and that's an admirable list. And you look at it and you go, yeah, I mean, that's what we all want in a spouse. And then, because I'm a dork, I said, are you that person for your spouse, your potential spouse? Are you becoming the person you want to find? And I didn't just stop there because I had to really wrestle with this myself. Am I the kind of spouse that my wife needs? Now that's a whole different question. And I can't be that guy without a deep well of living water that will spring up to me, up in me, into eternal life. I can't do it on my own. And this guy I was counseling way back in the day when I probably gave him the worst advice ever, it was the same thing. Wanted this spouse to fulfill all these different kind of needs. She can't. She can't. Unless she has this deep well of Christ. You can't unless you have this deep well of Christ. And that's the integration of spirit and truth together in our lives. Full integration. So she says, the woman said, I know the Messiah, that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus, for the first time in his ministry, he decides to reveal himself to a Samaritan to a Samaritan woman. That Jesus goes on this journey and he's tired and he sends his disciples into town for food and he sits down and just intersects his life with this woman's life and then says this, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he, I'm the Messiah. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? 
because they knew Jesus would slap them upside their head like he has done many, many times when they ask him questions, right? It's like Jesus had kind of set the stage. Like, don't, don't you ever ask me another question again. I'm going to pop you, you know, right? right? No, they, they come and they're just like, man, what's going on? Now listen, I want you to get in the head of the disciples because Jesus didn't want them to be happy either. He wanted them to be whole, if you understand what's happened, he has sent them into a Samaritan town. They've probably never been in Samaria, ever. All the Jews walked around Samaria. They've never been in Samaria. And they've probably heard tons of stories about Samaritans, probably just stereotypes that have just been passed down from generation to generation about the Samaritan. Well, you know, you know, they don't or they do, you know, or whatever. And so Jesus is like, hey, go into town and get some food. And they're dressed like Jews. The woman goes to Jesus and goes, you're a Jew. I can, I can tell. It's obvious. Now there's 11 young Jewish males going into a Samaritan town to get food. How do you think they felt? It's obvious they're Jewish. It's obvious they don't get along. And they're probably just thinking, oh man, Jesus sent us in to die. We're going to die. If we get out of here alive, I don't, I'm gonna, uh, first thing I'm, I'm going to walk up to Jesus, don't you ever tell us to go, you know. And so they go into town. But see, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want them happy either. He wants them whole because what we're going to find out as we know from church history, we find out later, there comes a time when those disciples will walk into any town in the name of Jesus. Samaritan town, Gentile town, Jewish town, it doesn't matter. They get it. The kingdom of God is here. What Christ did on the cross has saved them. And so they'll, I mean, but, but right now for them, they don't know. It's chapter 4. <laughs> Right? They haven't seen chapters 5 and 6 and 7 yet. They're in chapter 4. And what Jesus is asking them to do is be a chapter 12 Christian in chapter 4, which is almost impossible. But isn't that encouraging for us? Maybe you're a chapter 1. And Jesus is like, I just want you to get to chapter 2, bro. I just want just get to chapter 2. And you're like, man, I don't know. It's really uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Jesus didn't come to fulfill all your needs of, 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 of comfort. He wants you to be whole. So watch this. Then, leaving her water jar, she went back into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I wanted to hear. He told me I was going to be okay. And those first five husbands, shame on them. And that with this other guy I'm living with, well, at least you found your soulmate, sister. And it all works out in the end. Is that what Jesus says? Oh, wait a minute. Wrong translation. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Quite frankly, I don't want Jesus telling me everything I ever did. I want Jesus to make me feel good. But Jesus doesn't want me to be happy. He wants me to be whole. He wants to bring those things that are in the darkness out into the light. 
to expose them. And now, check this out. A woman who took that walk of humility every single day, leaves her water jar there and goes out and tells the whole village, hey, you know all the stuff you guys were saying about me, about the five husbands? There's a guy who told me all that kind of stuff. It doesn't bother me anymore. He's told me everything. It's the Messiah. It's going to change from here on out. And she leaves her water jar there. That thing that she probably saw that water jar in her, in her living room or wherever she kept it and every day looked and thought, oh, man, I'm going to get water tomorrow again. And now it's just left there. I, she's, she's, she's new. She's a new creature. She's a new creation. Because Jesus didn't tell her what she wanted to hear. Jesus didn't say, you know what? It's, you just have to look out for you. If this, if this guy, you know, he, he said, listen, here's the fact of the matter. You're going to keep being thirsty. You're going to keep, if, if your thing is for a relationship that satisfies all your needs, forget it. It's not going to happen. If you drink of this living water, you can come to the well anytime. It'll well up. It'll spring up in you eternal life. So here's my question for us this morning. Is there a well you're going to? That Jesus says, man, don't, don't go there. Is there a relationship or something you're pursuing? Some type of finding? Maybe it's just racking up things on the credit card because it's just like, man, I just want to. Or you're going to television or you're going to some substance or something that just says, man, I just, I just want to be happy. I just, I just want to forget this kind of stuff. It doesn't work. That's the problem. As a matter of fact, check out, um, I, I want to kind of read the way it works, how it looks in our lives when we're going to the well, and how it, the well, the, the living water, and what it looks like when we're going to the well, okay? And so the way this is um, uh, kind of split up is there's kind of God, the, the things in our life, the characteristics and the qualities in our life that God wants, and then there's stuff that our culture would say is an acceptable substitute, but turns out uh, it's not. God wants us to have love in our lives, okay? God wants us to love. God is love, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, in this same book, John, uh, God is love. Culture would say desire. I love pizza. And let me tell you something, I do. I come as close to godly love for pizza as you can come, but it's still culture's love, right? God wants us to have deep, loving relationships with himself and with each other, okay? Culture would say desire. God wants us to have joy. We want happiness. God wa- joy is in the face of any circumstance we can still have joy. It doesn't mean we don't have sadness. It doesn't mean we don't have deep disappointments, It doesn't mean we don't feel and we're not hurt and our feelings aren't hurt. We feel disrespected. But joy can rise up through that. Culture would say we need happiness. God would want us to have peace. Culture wants us to be satisfied. What happens when you come home from work, you sit down on the couch, you turn on the TV because you just want some what? Peace and quiet. I just want to fire a few endorphins in my brain and just kind of forget the day. That's satisfaction. God wants us to have patience. We have resignation. We're just, well, nothing we can do about it. It's over, okay? Resignation. Uh, Kindness. We would have niceness, okay? So we would say, no, that's a really nice dress. You know, off to the side in our heart, we're not very kind. God looks at the heart. We have niceness. Uh, Let's see, the next one. Uh, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness. Goodness. 
the world would have charity, okay? There's a difference between goodness and charity. Faithfulness, we would have obligation. As in the culture, we're just obligated to keep going, and what are you going to do until the kids move out of the house? We'll just keep it going, okay? That's different than faithfulness. Uh, gentleness, we would call tolerance, and self-control, we would call balance. It's not so much self-control. It's like, just don't go crazy. It's all right to dabble in these different things, but they balance. God wants us to have self-control. God might call us to say no to some things that everyone else is allowed to say yes to, but because the work that God's doing in our lives, he says no. So let me read a couple uh, verses to you real quick. 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, uh, we do so no longer. Okay? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That, that the thing when you would go to this well, go to this well, go to this well, in Christ there's a new creation, a new focus, a new sense of um, what we need out of Christ. The old is gone, the new is here. You drop your, your water jar and head into town and go, guess what? This dude told me everything about myself. I didn't like to hear it, but he did. And then check out this, this is kind of a long uh, part of scripture. Don't get caught up with how long it looks, but check this out. Put to death, therefore, kill it, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. If you want to get full satisfaction out of your job, you're going to need to kill that. It's not going to happen. And what happen, what will happen is you get addicted to whatever power or, or, or kind of pursuit of happiness that, that that provides. Put that to death. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. This means God is really concerned about these things in our lives. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another. See, these are all manifestations of searching for meaning and purpose in life outside of Jesus. We get frustrated. We get disrespected. We feel like we deserve something that we're not getting. And so there's anger and malice and strife and envy and all this kind of stuff. Now watch what he says right after this. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. 